0: We're going down to the river. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 8 through 14. If you're able, you can stand real quick. Hey, one thing, if you go to an apostolic church, you're going to stand and sit down a lot. So to all our guests, to all our people that have, have helped make this Deaf Conference possible, I want to say thank you, and it's an honor to have you all with us today. Thank you for being with us today. going to stay in the same vein I was in Wednesday night. And if you get a chance, please go back and watch The Key to Unlocking Disappointment. We talked about now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith takes the place of the promise until the promise shows up. Now faith isn't imagination. It's an interpretation of God's word that brings expectation so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of god and where the word of a king is there is power now faith is the key to unlocking disappointment and that's why the devil is constantly after your faith that's why you can be your faith is high on a sunday and on monday you don't even know what you believe and look i know you've been in this 30 years but you've got doubt that gets in your heart every once in a while if somebody tells you they never doubt kick him out my rhyming game is on today I've heard people say the devil's after my house my marriage my kids my job my health my home but can I give you a little revelation he attacks that stuff to get to your faith because your faith is a valuable commodity he don't really want your house he wants your faith Because without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. He said, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? Because the enemy knows your faith moves God. Your faith shakes heaven. Your faith rebukes the devil. Your faith will give you courage. Your faith gives you confidence. Your faith reaches into the Spirit, creating a sense of expectancy that will change the way you pray, you worship, you praise, you give, and you live. And I can tell you right now, the presence of the Lord has showed up looking for a place to deposit a miracle. And if he can find faith, he'll bring the miraculous to your life. I feel it. I feel it right now. I feel faith being strengthened right now. My body may be tired. My mind may be tired. But I'm going to leave here with my faith strengthened today. Come on, I'm going to anoint my shield before I leave the house. I'm going to leave here better and stronger than what I was before I walked in. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. Fighting for my faith. I'm not preaching yet. This is just a prelude. Jay Oswald Chambers put it this way. Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as the present and the invisible as the seen. So that leads me to my text book of Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 8 through 14 for thus says the Lord of hosts the God of Israel do not let your prophets and your diviners who in your midst deceive you nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed for they prophesy falsely to you in my name I've not sent them says the Lord For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. I love verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me. When you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I called you to be carried away captive. In this passage of scripture, notice the commas that were not placed there by Jeremiah, but by translators. But a comma is a punctuation device that separates thoughts. For example, to illustrate not that something is ending is what a period, but a comma means only a pause. So I want to talk to you for a little while today on this topic, God's grammar. It's different than ours. Some of you thought the story was over. You're trying to end it right now. You're trying to say, man, I'm just done. God has said, Nah. Let me put a comma right there and watch what I've got in store. Because I've got plans for you, plans for a future, for a hope, not for evil. One more time, lay down your Bibles, lift your voice with me. God, thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence, to preach to these great people. God, help me to speak your word. Help me to speak it the way you want it spoken, God. Help us to leave here with our faith elevated. God, in touch what you want to do in our lives. I pray for these great people. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody shout amen. One more time, give the Lord an ovation of praise, and you may be seated this morning. In Mark Batterson's book, Grave Robber, he writes, I've forgotten most of the sermons I've heard, and I'm sure our congregation has forgotten most of mine. That's how I feel today. But every once in a while, there's a moment of revelation in the middle of a message that is life-altering. That's what I experienced listening to an old sermon by Charles Crabtree, where he stated this unforgettable line. Never put a comma where God puts a period. and Never put a period where God puts a comma. That's a powerful statement because what we see and what we feel will cause us to sometimes declare the end when it's really not the end at all. It's only a pause. It can be a long pause. It can be a painful pause. But it's still just a Pause. Can I tell somebody here today that life will go on again? The sun will shine again. You will smile again. Because God's grammar is different. And we need to remember that things aren't over until they over. And if I'm here today, they're not over. So there needs to be hope that rises in the building. That's why the word says, let everything that has breath praise up. Ye the Lord, do you got breath today? Come on, you got to let the enemy know it's not over. 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 <laughs> Psalms 34, 1 through 4, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. and Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. And what? He answered me and delivered me. From all my fears. Praise changes our perspective. And according to A.W. Tozer, the most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God. When you came in here today, when you thought about God, what came to mind? Because most of our problems are not circumstantial, they're perceptual and can be traced back to an inadequate understanding of who God is. Do we really know how big and vast and powerful God is? In fact, often we reduce God to the size of our biggest problem. Tozer said, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. But a person with a high view of God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. You know what we need in this place today? We need that Psalms 86, 8 through 10 perspective of God. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord. Oh, I got four of you, but I wish i get the whole sanctuary. There is none like him. There is none beside him. Nor are there any works like his works. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord. I shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. You, God all by yourself. You're God all by yourselves. There is none beside him. Think about this. God created a universe that's vaster than what we can imagine, giving us a glimpse of how majestic and amazing he is. It was in 1990, the Voyager 1 spacecraft, having completed its mission, was about to leave our solar system. And as it did, NASA scientists turned the spacecraft's camera and took one last photograph of Earth from a distance of about 3.7 billion miles. And what the image revealed was startling. Dubbed the pale blue dot by astronomer Carl Sagan, this photograph shows Earth as a tiny dot, about one tenth of a pixel in size, suspended in the vast emptiness of space. In his reflections of this photograph, Sagan wrote, That's here. That's home. That's us. And on it is everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being who who was, whoever was, that lived out their lives on a moat of dust, suspended in a sunbeam. That's how finite and limited we are. Yet the universe reflects God's magnitude and really shows us how small we really are. One German philosopher said the universe is one of God's thoughts psalmist wrote the heavens declare the glory of god the skies proclaim the work of his hands no one knows exactly how big the universe is however scientists estimate that it contains hundreds of billions of galaxies and the average galaxy contains hundreds of billions of stars and recent research indicates that this estimate may be at least 10 times too low because they believe that it is still expanding and here's the significance of that discovery The four words spoken by God in the beginning are still creating galaxies at the outer edges of the universes today. Four words, and the result is an ever-expanding universe that measures at least 93 billion light years in diameter because God's grammar is different than ours. And if God can do that with just four words, what are you worried about today? If God can create all of that with just four words, what are we worried about today? The universe is His way of saying, look what I can do with only four words. And when God speaks a word, it will not return. It will keep working. And expanding, that's his grammar. So don't don't just look. Don't just give up just because you're in the middle of a season. And, and don't think that God doesn't know where you're at. Because even when I can't see it, he's working. Even when I don't know what he's doing, he's working. That word that he gave me, it's not going to die out. It's not going to go away. It's still creating in my life. Now, I know what you're thinking. i got to see it to believe it. I'm sorry. If you live by sight, you'll be in trouble. But if you live by faith, that's what Hebrews 11.3 says. It says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do not appear. How unique is that? We know all this was created by things that, that, things that do appear which were seen were not made of things which do appear. The, world, the word worlds there is not limited to time. So through faith, we understand that the Word of God frames the ages. Yesterday, today, and always, it's all framed by the Word of God. Meaning the Word of God controls my now, my then, and my tomorrow. If you keep the faith, He has your life framed in. And as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are His ways higher than my ways, and His thoughts higher than my thoughts. I've just got to be willing to stay in the faith and submit my life to Him. That's why I can't just be wishy-washy. I can't. I can't be in one minute out the next can't show up one Sunday and be out the next. I can't go through seasons of difficulty and just wave the white flag of surrender and say I'm giving in. No, I live from faith to faith. I live from victory to victory. I can be in the middle of defeat but still feel like I have victory because my faith says that it's not over yet. And some of you need to understand, you think it's defeat. It's really not defeat. You just got to see through your faith that God is strengthening you in the middle Of what you're going through. It was 1997, a team of IBM engineers designed and developed Deep Blue. Check out that computer. How many of you had a computer like that? Anybody? Took three people to pack it. (laughs) It Original laptop. Can you imagine carrying that into Starbucks and plugging it in? (laughs) But this was the computer that outmaneuvered chess grandmaster Gary. Gary. Kasparov. Deep blue was equipped with 32 processing engines that could calculate 200 million chest moves per second. Now, I don't know about you, but I have, I have a tough time with 50-50 stuff. Right, left, true or false? <laughs> Vanilla ice cream or chocolate ice cream? Come on, somebody. I know I'm not the only one in here right now. Can you imagine contemplating 200 million contingencies in a split second? But 200 million contingencies are laughable compared to the omniscient one who took every contingency into consideration before a nanosecond had even ticked off the clock of time. Think of your life as a game of chess, which I don't like chess. I like the redneck form of chess, checkers, a lot easier to play. And I don't know if you know this, I'm going to give you a secret that's going to change your life. Unlimited free checkers at Cracker Barrel anytime you want to go. <laughs> it's free. You ain't got to pay for it. You ain't got to get. You just act like you're eating and just go in there, and sit down, and play checkers, get up and leave. Nobody's gonna ask you a question. But we're gonna imagine today that your life is a game of chess, and you're the pawn, and God is the grandmaster. You have no idea what your next move should be. Can I hear an amen for everybody? You, You don't know what is my next move. You don't even know what tomorrow holds. You don't know the decisions that you're going to make. But God already has the next 200 million moves planned out in advance. He said, look, you may make a mistake here, but don't worry. I'm going to work something out. I'm going to put a detour in. I'm going to get you to where I want you. I'm glad that God doesn't give up on us in the game of life. I'm glad that he'll make a way. When we make a terrible decision, he'll say, you know what? I already got a contingency plan for that. But here, I got to be honest. Some of his moves won't make sense to you. And if you try to control the story, you're going to mess it up. That is simply because we can't compute 200 million contingencies at a time. Look at where you're like. Some of you shouldn't even be here today. How many times the enemy hollered checkmate at you? But the king had one more move. (laughs) How many of you shouldn't be here doing what God's called you to do? But the master said, I got a contingency plan. I'm going to get them. If they ever turn their life over to me, I'm going to get them. Well, I want it. God's grammar is different don't you give up just yet we've just got to trust the grand master who has our story framed by keeping the faith he's making a way in the wilderness for your life I want you to look at someone I want you to say it's not over I want you to look at somebody else and say it's not over I want you to say it with faith it's not over some of you can't sleep at night because your past is keeping you awake but I've come with the word leave the past in the past the master's got another move for your life some of you have walked in here you're sick in your body and the doctor said there's no hope can I tell you there's a master that when the enemy hollers checkmate he'll say it's not over yet I'm not done yet I'm still working Come on, I need somebody to grab a hold of it right now. You thought it was the end. And he said, it's not over. I've got a contingency plan. My grammar is different. (laughs) Jeremiah 29 is primarily known for one verse. But to understand that one verse, you need to back up to the beginning of the chapter. This chapter was a letter the weeping prophet Jeremiah sent to the elders of Judah in exile in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar had carried them all captive and prophets among them said, don't get too comfortable, we're not here for long. But Jeremiah enlightened them of of such a notion. He wrote, the Lord says, don't listen to those prophets or diviners who deceive you. You got to be careful who you listen to. They'll mess you up. Sometimes you got to try the spirit. You got to make sure because I'm telling you, people will get in your ear and they'll mess your destiny up because they'll take away from what, oh, y'all done made me preach up in here. Can I remind you? That's why you got to pray and that's why you got to fast and that's why you got to. If somebody gives you a word that doesn't align with this book, it's a word from the devil. It's not a word from God. <laughs> somebody better hear me right now. Nothing he'll give you will go against his word. This is the word of a king, it's his decree, it's his power. And the Bible says that the enemy can disguise himself as an angel of light. They'll show up into your life saying, I'm a light. No, you're not a light. Look, some of you got somebody in your mind. Get that person out your mind right now. (laughs) Jeremiah said, you know what? You can't listen to those people. He said, don't listen to the dreams. And let let me go ahead and say this. If if somebody always is only giving you positive news and no correction in your life, that's a problem. It's iron sharpening iron. Now I don't have a knife. I don't carry knives. I know some of you saying, well, Brother Josh, you got to get a little more redneck in. You put a pocket knife in your pocket. I just, I don't do it. I don't have one. I might do it next Sunday. I might give me a pocket knife. <laughs> might give me one of the big knives, put on my belt, right beside my mic pack. But I will tell you this, I don't even think I ever sharpen a knife. But will today, my house, 5 o'clock. Come on over with your knife, sharpener. knife, we're going to sharpen it. But I do got common sense. And I can tell you that that blade has to take a lot of punishment to get sharp. A knife doesn't just get sharp. It gets dull if there's no friction every once in a while being. And if you want to be sharp in your life, sometimes this word will correct you. And sometimes God will put people in your life and say, you know what, your, spirit, your spirit's getting bitter. You got to let that go. If you hold on to that, it's going to mess you up. Sometimes your dreams need clear instruction. They don't need to be validated all the time. They need somebody to step in and say, hey, look, if you operate here and do this according to the word of God, your life will, will grow. It will prosper to be better. And that's what Jeremiah said. He said, don't listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. These people, these people were telling these prophets, hey, dream me a dream. And these prophets said, I'll lie to you right now and tell you what I see in the spirit. They're prophesying lies to you is what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah takes a deep breath. Listen to what he says. He said it will be 70 years from now. You're not, you not my man, Jeremiah. 70 years from now, 70 years, but God will fulfill his promise and bring you back to Jerusalem. And watch this, Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. I'm so glad that this sentence didn't end with says the Lord, period. Look, what kind of word is that? Thus says the Lord, and somebody just stops, period. You go figure it out but there's a comma after lord after the lord and god elaborates on his thoughts towards us thoughts of peace and not of evil and i'm so glad there's not a period after evil but a comma god goes on speaking i will give you a future and hope long before god laid earth's foundation he had you and me in mind long long ago he decided he decided to adopt us into his family romans 5 and 8 says this God shows us his love for us. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's as if he says to unbelievers, I know you're rebelling against me. But I still love you so much that I'll go to the cross for you. The world has never seen such a love like this because it's the grammar of God. We can't really understand it. We can't comprehend it. We turn our back on Him. He still loves us. We disobey Him. He still loves us. We leave Him. He still loves us. But He was saying, I thought of everything. I provided for everything that we can need. And His grammar says, plans for good and not for harm. Translation. God planned for every contingency you might ever encounter before the beginning of time. And we have to be careful not to block it. Now, I've got I've to bring this down for a second because I'm going to tell you some things that will block the grammar of God in your life. There's a book called Walking in the Walls, Five Blind Spots that Block God's Work in You. And the opening page says too many people live needlessly in defeat, immobilized, By their own mistakes or the mistakes of others. And they repeatedly walk into emotional walls that block the work God wants to do in them. It doesn't have to be this way. No matter how broken or hurt every person can discover the way to healing hope and a new way of living. And the book opens with with this author describing a bird that flew down the chimney. And it entered the living room where a family was playing a game. And the bird knew he was out of his elements, so he spied the outdoors and he made for it. But guess what? He flew into the glass of the window. So he hit the window and kept hitting it, thinking it was the way to freedom. In Otterburn, the author says, he says this, Like the bird, we too have illusions of freedom. But unfortunately, we walk into phantom walls that have built up over time. And we walk into them repeatedly, hoping to get a different result each time. He said we could change, but we end up saying things like, this is not my fault, period. My parents just don't get it, period. Nobody can help me but me, period. I'm not the one with the problem here, well, Period. God can never forgive me, period. I love this one. God really, he can't figure me out. He created you. Not a single comma in such sentences. No divine pause. Only abrupt man-made ends of gloom and despair. And the author goes on to describe the phantom walls we build to block God from our lives. You know what he says? There's a wall of stubborn resistance. The wall of arrogant entitlement. The wall of justifiable resentment. Oh, I deserve to be resentful. The wall of disconnected isolation. Well, I just, man, I'm I'm an introvert. I like to be alone, so I'm going to climb up in this cave. Can I tell you, don't get deep in that cave because you may never walk out because you're not meant to live alone. The wall of blind ignorance. There's a chapter in the book called Getting Unstuck. And the author says that most people who are in a rut spend most of their time redecorating their rut. Listen, I know, I know, I pastored for 10 years. And nobody here, they don't go here, but I know they go somewhere else to church. But I know it's the same cycle. They just redecorate their rut. They never get out. They never get better. They never get healed. They never, they never fulfill their God-given purpose because they find a way to redecorate their rut. Have you ever seen somebody they always want to live arguing? Oh, you can find them. Go on social media. They're on there right now. You know what I'm talking about. The ones who ignore the scripture. You know, you, you better listen before you speak. It's better to hear more than you talk. They don't listen to that. They just say, you know what? I got an opinion. I'm going to put it out everywhere, 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 everywhere. And then they, run, they wonder why nobody runs to their rescue. Because listen, hurt people hurt people. Healed people heal people. help people should help people. And there is no excuse for me to get in such a rut that I'm not reaching down and picking people up out of their rut. But if I'm not helping and loving and caring, I'll become selfish and I won't reach for anybody else. Do you know what the grammar of God is? The grammar of God is about others and not myself. He said, can you love your neighbor more than you love yourself? Can you be a good Samaritan when you find somebody wounded and discouraged? People are comfortable in their discomfort. People are comfortable with living wounded their whole life and never being healed. People people are comfortable with being bitter and angry and mad. Guys, I don't want to live like that. I don't have time to be angry all the time and be looking over my shoulder like, who's going to get me next? I always feel like somebody's watching me. Time. Time. Used to be a gospel song. Talking about. Always walking around looking for somebody, waiting on somebody to say the wrong word that cuts you in your life and it discourages you so much that you lose your faith in a God that has been there for you through every season. Look back. Look back over when you, even when you were lost and walking away from him. He never, ever left you. Matter of fact, he kept you through all of that. And my objective today, and I've been preaching for 28 minutes, and next week you're not going to believe this. We're going to talk about 2.0 of this topic again. But you need to understand that God's grammar is different in your life. You don't have to carry that hurt to the grave. You don't have to put a period and say, well, that's just going to be a chapter in my life that I'm always, always just going to hold on to and I'm going to embrace. And everything, every season I go through, I'm going to be looking for that same hurt because one person let me down, I'm always going to expect somebody else to let me down. And God is saying, quit redecorating the rut. Get out of it. Go find somebody. There is divine hope for you. There's a calling for your life. There is a purpose for your life. But once people finally get their fill of the rut or flying into phantom walls and windows, they can get unstuck. And the art of getting unstuck involves looking beyond your present or past circumstances to a desired future. You need to look at who do I want to be next year? I want to be better. I don't want to be the same person. I'm telling you about me. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about Josh Payne right now. Well, preacher, you arrived. The devil is alive. Hey, I get frustrated just like you get frustrated. I get tired just like you get tired. I get angry just like you get angry. I do. Look, I look for hurt just like you look for hurt because we've been born sin, shaping into iniquity. And our natural personality is to be a pessimist. And to say nothing to ever be right, it'll never be right, I'll never be anything. But I'm coming to tell you, you better shut all that down. Because God has something in store for your life that will go beyond every bit of hurt you've experienced, every bit of pain you've experienced. Think about that for a moment. Nearly everything that is holding you back is focusing on just the present tense or the past tense. And not seeing that God has designed a future for you. God doesn't love me, period. God was not there for me, period. God was disappointed with me, period. Why am I in this predicament, period? When all you talk about is the rut and not what God has brought you out of and what God is bringing you to, you'll never be able to have joy in your life. Musicians, you can come. However, whether you believe in God or not, God believes in the future that he has designed for your life. He believes in it. Whether you believe in him or not, He actually has taken your hurt and pain into consideration. I read this. Ken Gurley wrote it and I read it and I loved it. He said, when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he shows me his plan for my life, the plan of my life as it might have been had he had his way and I see how I blocked him here and I checked him there and I would not yield my will. Shall I see grief in my Savior's eyes? Grief, though he loves me still. Oh, he'd have me rich, and I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace. While my memory runs like a hunted thing, down the paths I can't retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with tears that I cannot shed. I'll cover my face with my empty hands and bow my uncrowned head. No! Lord, of the years that are left to me, I yield them to Thine hand. Take me, make me, mold me to the pattern that You have planned. I don't want to block You anymore, God. I don't want to put a period where You put a comma. I want Your grammar in my life. God, You're the master of the pause. You're the master of the comma. And You're the master, God, of making something Out of nothing. And I love what old Paul Harvey used to say. Now for the rest of the story. And some of you have walked in here today. And you've been living in the moment. And you've been living off the past. But you've got to understand. He's got a whole other story. That he wants to write in your life. Have you ever thought that the evening and the morning were the first day? Have you ever considered the hope of that phrase? That means that there's a second day and a third day. See God's grammar in the parable of the prodigal. He asked his father for his inheritance. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered all his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything that he had, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need, so he went and hired himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. If I'm reading that story and I stop, I would weep because the situation of the prodigal son seems hopeless. But I'm glad that the boy's father understood God's grammar. The prodigal's father prepared in the present for the future. He went out and fed that calf every day, preparing that calf for the day that his son came back home. He said, we're going to throw a party so grand. When my boy wakes up and realizes how lost he is, there's going to be a party that nobody has ever seen or been a part of. You can imagine that father goes down and he feeds that calf. And he goes and he sits on his front porch in his favorite rocking chair. And he rocks back and forth. And he looks out on the horizon. It's today the day my boy comes home. It's today the day. And finally the Bible says this in Luke 15, 17 through 24. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and i love this and you you know that fat fatted calf that i've been feeding every day you know that one that i've been going out there every day and just any for my son he said bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost uh, but is now found and they begin to celebrate the grammar of god will change my story i used to be in the pig pen but now i'm back in the father's house let's stand all over the house voice that spoke the universe into existence it's the voice that is speaking here today usually I don't close with a scripture but I felt this strongly today and I feel like this is where we need to end if I get the media to go to my very last scripture in Exodus 12 I heard a man preach this at a conference I was recently at and I was blown away Brother Will they're preparing for the Passover that death angel is getting ready Pass over their homes, and Moses says, "Look, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta take a lamb without blemish, and you gotta slay that lamb, and you gotta take the blood of that lamb, and you gotta apply it to the door lintel. And if there's blood on the door lintel, the death angel is gonna pass by. And we know that part of the story, but listen to what else he says in verses five through eight: Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you shall take it out from the sheep and from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day." Of the same month, and the whole assembly of the, con- the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take up the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorposts of the houses wherein they shall call it. And watch this. And they shall eat the flesh in the night, roast with fire and unleavened bread. And watch this. And with bitter herbs they shall eat it. I don't know if you've ever been there. But it seems like in my life, there's always a dish that shows up of bitter herbs. Anybody ever been there to where there's a dish that shows up that you've got to eat and you know you've got to go through it, but it's bitter. And when you, when you partake of it, you're like, man, I just... We're missing the part where it says they shall eat the flesh of the lamb. He said, on the opposite side of those bitter herbs of life that just show up unexpectedly is the sweetness of the lamb. And if all you ever see in your story is the bitter herbs that you... If all you ever see and partake of is those herbs that you say are bitter, man, and you just always, you're walking around looking like this. You know what I'm talking about. You come to church... Because you haven't focused on the lamb. Because I can eat those bitter herbs as long as I can taste the lamb in my life. As long as I can sit there and understand that there is a lamb that is going to be there in the midst of my bitterness. That lamb's going to be there in every season. The blood of the lamb's going to be there in every circumstance. He's going to be there when I need him. The lamb will never leave, it'll never walk away. It'll always be there. And here's how I feel led in the service today. Oh, I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. Every eye closed. Nobody looking around. If you feel like life has presented you some bitter herbs, I want you to raise your hand all over the house. All over the house. All over the house. If you're at a season where you don't know what to do, you don't know where to turn, you don't know where to go, you've just been bitter. Ooh, I'm I'm telling you, I'm ministering in the Holy Ghost right now. There's a a transition that's getting ready to happen in somebody's life. Can I go ahead and prophesy to you right now? Today's going to be a turning point. Some of you have had no clarity about your future. But I feel like this week, if you'll focus on the Lamb, God's going to reveal some things to you in your spirit so that you can get out of the rut that you're in. But if you keep it eating the bitterness and you don't go to the lamb and say, I need the sweetness of the lamb. I need the lamb's love in my life. I need it in my life. I felt it at the beginning and I feel it now. Some of you are cut so deep and so hurt and so wounded right now. and the lamb has showed up to heal you today some of you carrying hurt that happened 20 years ago I'm telling you I'm ministering right now to somebody and you showed up and every day you get up you're trying to get over but that bitterness shows back up and you don't know what to do I've got a word if you can focus on the lamb If you're going to understand that God's grammar is different and he's going to use that as a part of your story to help other people and you'll climb out of the rut, your future will be way better than your past has ever been.